0: Thank you for almost 6.5 million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. (music) The Advent hymn, Hark! A Thrilling Voice is Sounding, sung by the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. There is joy in that voice. It is a warning, there's no doubt about it. A warning that Christ's coming will mean judgment, but there's also joy because that judgment is going to be born by Christ himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, toward Advent 3. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. It's great to be back, Todd. Last week, we talked an awful lot about the message of John the Baptist. We're back into John. It's a, kind of a Jesus perspective of John. Tell us about that. Yeah, I love the way you said that. That's
1: perfect. So we've heard John talking about Jesus, although only slightly. We just got the hint. You have to know the on day that we sing every Sunday to know the real nut, the real meat of the story. But here, might really seem like a strange thing, actually. We hear Jesus talking about John. And why is he important, right? Isn't the whole point is he's the less one, Jesus is the greater one. But in fact, it gives us an encouragement too. It gives us an encouragement to see John where he is, to hear his question, and to find the answer in Christ Jesus for ourselves as well. And then in a way, it's a a time to focus on the person and the ministry of John, not so much his message.
0: So, there is a th- an affinity between this lectionary and the one-year lectionary. In the one-year lectionary, the Sunday actually has a name of a Gaudate, Rejoice. And there's an element of that that's kind of running through the three-year lectionary version. How would you describe that?
1: Sure. So, Gaudete is the Latin word, or one of them, for Rejoice. And in this case, it's from Philippians chapter 4 rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. Now we don't hear that epistle reading today, which actually we didn't always hear it in the one-year lectionary either on this Sunday, but it was the intro, and it kind of uh, focused then our attention on a lightening in the Sundays. And this became known well by the color of the vestments that were sometimes used on this Sunday, rather than being violet for repentance. Sometimes it would be a lighter color, a rose color we would say in our day, a pink color. If you still have candles on your advent wreath, whether they're blue or purple, but you have one of those pink colored candles, this is the Sunday that you should light it. And uh, if your congregation happens to have rose vestments, which not all do, for Sunday at least, this is the day to wear it, although it returns to violet during the week.
0: What are the major themes that we're gonna find in this Sunday's propers? The Gospel reading, which we
1: always kind of take our cue from, is going to talk about Jesus' confirmation of John. So John sends his disciples to ask the question, hey, are you the coming one, or are we supposed to wait for somebody else? And Jesus will say, well, look at what is being fulfilled in the Scriptures. You know the answer, John. And he'll go on to tell the crowds, look, he's no softy. You should realize this. And he'll also talk a little bit about persecution. Another focus is the hearing of the prophecies that are concerning Jesus now fulfilled. He'll mention that to John, and in the presence of the crowd, he'll also finally wrap it all up by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That really does go then through all of the readings. But in particular, I think we'll find that the epistle reading will be the one that really will provide kind of our point of connection, where James speaks about patience, about enduring Both patience with our sins, patience with this life of repentance, patience with this world that is set against the Lord and against his Christ, and therefore against his church as well, and patience in all difficulties. As a result, then, I think we'll also see that this kind of turning sorrow into joy, maybe not in a blunt, obvious, and simplistic way, but in a lasting and true way, sorrow will be turned into joy by our lord's salvation
0: let's begin with the intro at point for this coming sunday drawn from i believe a little bit of philippians and then psalm 71.
1: Yep, I mentioned already, Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. That's all we get in this case. So that is a difference from the, the traditional reading, which goes on to say, let your reasonableness be made known. The Lord is at hand, a great Advent connection. Instead, we go into Psalm 71, which is a psalm about the Lord's care all the way from the beginnings of life to the end of life. And it's a psalm, I think, that is especially beloved to those who are growing old, that they also would realize, even in old age, especially if you're somebody who's in a nursing home, not able to be at your own home or out and about with everybody, maybe not able to work anymore, you fall quickly into the feeling that I have no purpose here very much like John, by the way, in prison, who's supposed to lead to the Lord. And yet it seems like now he's not going to even get to see the event that he's been waiting for, the salvation of the world. In fact, he'll be taken into eternal life before that happens. And yet Psalm 71 is incredibly comforting, one, to look back and see how the Lord has been our Lord and preserved us. He doesn't forsake us even now. And uh, if you were to pray the whole Psalm, you'd see that he actually still has a purpose to proclaim his deeds to the coming generation as well, even perhaps by simply exhibiting in your life the endurance and the patience that a Christian has. So we don't get all of that in Psalm 71, but the main themes are definitely here in this section from verse 14 to 18. And we should hear this in John the Baptist's voice as if he were praying the Psalm this Sunday, that he says, I will hope continually and praise the Lord more and more. You should do the same. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, a little hearkening to last Sunday, and the deeds of your salvation all the time. Their number is beyond my knowledge. And I will remind them of your righteousness, of yours only. So we see that John then has this resolve in the voice of the psalmist, right? That John is not going to give up. And probably the most famous phrase from the psalm, From my youth you've taught me, still I proclaim your wondrous deeds. So now even when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, Don't forsake me until I pass it on to the next generation and your power to those to come. That fits very well with the kind of traditional understanding of the gospel as well. Why did John seem to ask this doubtful question of Jesus? Well, the traditional response has been actually it was really kind of a way to pass his disciples on to Jesus by sending them to him and seeing for their own selves that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything he promised to be in the Old Testament.
0: This is a good example, this intro, the way it puts these things together of how the gospel reading kind of shapes all the propers, whether they come before or after.
1: Yeah, and and a good thing to remember as you in the pew are listening or singing this intro, you got to ask this question, who is speaking? Often in the liturgy, they're repurposed, you might say. So there's a way in which we could say, well, it was always David or Asaph or whoever wrote the psalm. But these are given, as we heard last Sunday, for our instruction our use, that we can have patience by them. And so the liturgy tends to arrange it so that it's somebody speaking. Maybe it's the voice of the church. Maybe it's Jesus himself speaking with the Father. And in this case, I think we can hear how John the Baptist it's almost as if he is uttering these words. And then by extension, we can utter them and we find ourselves in the same situation.
0: What is the Collect?
1: Again, as all of them in Advent, the traditional one for this third Sunday, Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. In some ways it really does grab all of Advent again, this darkness now being enlightened by Christ Jesus. We certainly had that on the first Sunday in Advent this year. And it draws our attention to his visitation. There's the Advent, the coming word for this collect. But together with that, it bids him to hear our prayers. And there I think this collect really does fit very well with the gospel reading that's been chosen for this Sunday, which is the traditional one as well for the third Sunday of John seeking out the Lord. What is that but a prayer, to ask, to ask a question of God, to ask him for aid? That's what a prayer at its most core is, to ask something of him, to trust in him then also. And this colic bids us to do the same and to ask him for, well, something that might seem unnecessary, right? Hasn't he already lightened our darkness? Hasn't he already visited us? Isn't he already gracious to us? Well, we ask that he would continue to do it. It's the very thing we learned from the catechism, right? Doesn't his kingdom come on its own? Doesn't he do his will as he pleases? Well, yes, but we pray that it would come, that it would be done, that it would be among us also.
0: The Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah 35, the first 10 verses. If you would read it out for us and then comment.
1: The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there or any ravenous beasts come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Of all the readings, this is the one for this Sunday in this year of the lectionary that really grabs that joy, that rejoice theme, which if you have that rose candle, light it this Sunday. So it's an extended picture, as Isaiah loves to do, of a dry place, an uninhabitable, deathly place. Think of Death Valley or one of those uh, Sahara Desert places where nothing can live for more than a few seconds. And uh, the Lord is going to turn it into a beautiful, lush garden, a place where everything can live easily. You might even say paradise like the Garden of Eden overall, you already see kind of a return to eternal life, a theme that has been lingering in all of our sections from Isaiah here in this year of the lectionary, uh, that we always kind of have this line with the Lamb, this holy mountain where everything is perfect and no one destroys anymore. Here we have the Lord's going to turn something that's been parched and destroyed by sin and its effects into a place where everything can live again, paradise like the beginning of the world. And in the midst of it, We have two things. One, we have this strengthening of the weak knees, the feeble knees, to those who are anxious, be strong, don't fear, the Lord will save you. And very similar to last week's theme, we see that the Lord comes with his vengeance and recompense against the wicked, but that this is the means by which he will save those who belong to him. I think it's easy to see that perhaps in connection with John the Baptist, that the Lord wanted to strengthen him if there was any part of him that was weak in faith or in heart, or perhaps just in constitution, since he had been locked away in prison for who knows how long. But, I think we really see the reason this was chosen in verses five and six. It's almost a direct quote that Jesus was almost certainly referencing in the gospel reading we'll get to when he said, hey, see for yourself, John and his disciples and everybody else listening. The eyes have been opened of the blind. The ears of the deaf have been stopped. The lame man now has been healed. These are the things the Lord is at work to do.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary on the other side, this theme of judgment can turn out to be a theme of salvation as well.
2: a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered cross-focused Lutheran church Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org
3: what does anthropology or the science of mankind, the study of mankind, have to do with Christmas? Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. As the December issue of The Lutheran Witness points out, to understand what man is and what it means to be man, we don't look to other men, but to Jesus Christ, the man. To subscribe to The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lsms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc.,
1: Startled at the song
0: Looking forward to the third Sunday in Advent, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. I'm Todd Wilkin. your link to Issues, Etc. Some shepherds were the first to know while tending sheep that night. An angel suddenly they saw the hills were bright with light. Don't be afraid, the angel said, just go to Bethlehem and you will find your Savior there. Now go and worship him. An excerpt from one of the several arch books that are found in the Issues, Etc. Book of the Month. For December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection. You'll find out more about this at our website, issueztc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order this as a Christmas gift for any child you know, ages 5 to 8, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Sean, how does this theme of judgment that you've been talking about also turn out to be a theme of salvation as well?
1: Yeah, so the traditional Second Sunday Gospel in Advent is this picture of foreboding and fear falling on the world and everybody's going to be saying, oh no, what's going to happen? And signs of the end times, wounds will turn to blood, etc. And then Jesus says, you know, when you see all these terrible, fearful things happening, hey, that's when you should straighten up your heads for your redemption is drawing near and he has an extended uh, picture that I think now seems to be drawn from Song of Songs where the Lord is coming for his bride to rescue her and that she should be happy and excited and eager for that. That text doesn't come up in year A of the three-year lectionary, but it certainly is the theme and the point that all of these readings are surrounding. You might say all of year A is like a commentary on that one passage where the Lord is coming and everything will appear terrible, it certainly will be for the wicked, but the attitude of a Christian should be joy, nevertheless. It's exactly what we see in the last Sundays of the church year's hymn, Wake, awake, for night is flying on, which is associated with those 10 virgins, a story that ends very kind of ominously. You better watch out, you don't know the day he'll return, and if you're not there on time, you'll get locked out at the last day. And yet, Philip Nicolai turns it into a beautiful hymn looking forward to entering into the wedding hall, being a guest at his table, in fact, being the bride of Christ Jesus as the church is, who will be in his presence forever at the last day. Even though there's a fear and foreboding coming on the world, even though judgment is at hand, for us as Christians, it's a joyful thing we are expectantly and eagerly waiting for. And we have a little bit at the end of that Old Testament reading, where it borrows from something we hear usually at All Saints Day, that the ransom that is the redeemed paid for by blood of the Lord will return. They'll come to the holy place with singing, and they will have joy forever.
0: What is the psalm appointed for this coming Sunday?
1: The psalm, again, which we want to listen to it as a commentary in the Old Testament reading that we just heard, is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise my soul. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep praising him. And it talks about how the worldly people usually die and their thoughts perish. But the one who has the Lord has a happy hope, one that is certain. He's the one who created the world. He's the one who arises for the sake of the poor, the fatherless, turns upside down the wicked. Probably that comments best on the kind of brief judgment theme that we have in this Isaiah reading. But it does have one little tidbit that to me seems like a non sequitur, and that's in verse 7. It says, the Lord looses the prisoners, and the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. I see why it talked about the blind, but the prisoners one really brings something that, I don't know if you want to mention that or if you really do want to mention it, because that, I think, is what John the Baptist is hoping to hear from Jesus, and it's the one thing that's kind of missing. So we'll see when we get to the gospel reading where there's another Isaiah passage that ought to be mentioned about this loosing of the prisoners.
0: We'll come back to it. The epistle reading, and this doesn't happen very often, comes from the letter of James, the fifth chapter.
1: Yes, so James chapter 5 is almost entirely exhortation, encouragement, instructions in righteousness for Christians. This one, like I said, I think really does kind of tie all the readings together that were chosen for this year of the three-year lectionary quite well. I'll read it. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard it of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, this is certainly a strengthening of the weak knees as well, an encouragement for those who are anxious in heart to be strong and fear not, as we heard from Isaiah. And this word patience, then, I think, is very helpful for us. It's important to realize that the word we have in English, as I think as well in other languages, is drawn from the same word as suffering. Patient and passion are very similar. And uh, when we talk about the passion of Christ, we're talking about his suffering for our sake, enduring something. And we have this probably best in in an old Lutheran hymn that has a new translation now because it could be misunderstood, perhaps. But here it would be fortuitous if we had the old translation, If thou but suffer... God to guide thee. That doesn't mean necessarily if thou suffer a bunch of painful things from God, although the hymn will say including those things, but it means to endure what he sends, to bear through it, to be steadfast in the face of adversity. And that's the theme of of this whole reading, that we should be patient just like a, a seed and a plant that has to endure an awful lot during the summer. It has to go through all sorts of drought times, middle of the year when they just can hardly put out any pollen or nectar for the bees because there's no rain. But the Lord wants it to have the early rains and those late rains that really just fill out the whole head before he's going to harvest us at the last day. And he says, establish your hearts. He says this twice, that the coming of the Lord is at hand and ought to be in view as our goal. Now, it's been a while since we've heard about this Let's wait for the last day, let's be patient, let's be ready at all times. That certainly is the theme at the end of the church here. But that's still here. When we're thinking about the advent of Christ, we're not just thinking about Christmas, but we're also thinking about the last day, that we should be ready at all times. Here, though, James, like in other places in Paul as well, the hope that goes before is in view, that because we're looking for the last day, ought to give us confidence and patience and endurance for this time. This includes that the judge is here, that ought to affect the way we act to our neighbors, that we don't think the judgment of God is far off, that's Gentile unbeliever thinking, to think, well, we'll deal with God and we'll deal with looking good in his presence at the last day, until then we can misbehave all we want. No, that's not the way a Christian acts at all, but we want to live at peace with our neighbor. We want to not be grumbling against one another now. We know the Lord is always at hand. We're not gonna pretend like he's not watching today. That is unbeliever thought. Then he points us also to the Old Testament. Remember, we said that hearing all these prophecies about Jesus is a theme. Well, I think we have that a little bit from James here also, that he directs us to consider those who have gone before us. He gives Job as a mention. Notice, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. They don't even have to say anything else. It's almost an invitation to go and read the whole book again, which I think is delightful. We still use Job as a proverbial man as well. But to see the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord and his compassion runs through all of it. How, as we mentioned last week, repentance is never for the sake of despair of the Lord's mercies but is in fact to lead us to turn from ourselves and to absolutely trust in Christ Jesus and seek our salvation from him.
0: Finally on that point, go into a little more detail about how the prophets are mentioned by the Apostle James.
1: Sure, uh, just that uh, we should take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as our example of suffering and patience. This is a really nice pairing, I suppose, with hearing from Isaiah. We haven't been hearing a continuous reading of Isaiah during Advent, but with just bits and pieces here and there. But Isaiah is one who who faced great suffering, great opposition to his message as a prophet. I think Jeremiah would be a perfect one to look at too, as well as Ezekiel. Jeremiah, probably of all of them, is the one who had that moment where he stood before his accusers that said, "Well." You need to die because we can't tolerate listening to the prophecy that you're giving to us. And Jeremiah is bold, though he's young, to say, Well, I'm in your hands. Do what you think is right, but know that my blood will be on your hands and the Lord will avenge. Right? Notice how he suffered this and endured it with patience. He didn't say, I need to take vengeance and justice into my own hands. He was willing to wait for the Lord's rescue in whatever time it would come, even if it came after death. This is gonna be important then when we get to the Gospel reading. We see that Jesus' answer to John is not going to be, I'm coming to release you from prison and we'll finish out this salvation of the world together. No, actually John's gonna be one of the first martyrs for Christ Jesus, or as Jesus will put it, one of the last martyrs of the Old Testament, end of the prophets, because his preparatory work despite his death or maybe even because of his death, will be complete.
0: So just to put a fine point on that, John the Baptist, we can include him among the prophets that James mentions here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if James particularly had him in mind, but we know that Jesus certainly did, as we'll hear in the gospel. That John is, he holds the place as a prophet, yeah, even more than a prophet. He's Elijah who is to come, the last one, the, the one we've been waiting for, the badum, the pickup note to the downbeat of Christ Jesus.
0: How does this seasonal gradual fit into the theme of this Sunday?
1: You know, not too much, to be honest, but it does have that word rejoice, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, which I suppose now comes to its uh, special fulfillment, as we even still in the three-year lectionary tend to call this Rejoice Sunday and light our rose candle.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, and we'll talk about the verse next. Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org.
3: Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy.
4: Is your child struggling at school? are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR 23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com
3: a mobile lutheran bible study you're listening to issues etc is it hard yes will it challenge you absolutely is it a blessing from god for you and those you will serve without question
0: dr lawrence rast president of concordia theological seminary fort wayne indiana
3: the pastoral ministry is all of these things and that's why concordia theological seminary exists to form servants in jesus christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about
0: studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship, Confessional Theology, Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
3: See the
0: Stanza 3 of the Advent Hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, we come to the verse. What would you remind us about it?
1: This verse is going to be common to this Sunday, and we see that there's always a plan to have two Sundays about John the Baptist, kind of in our Advent in the three-year. Here we hear about the messenger, again, who will prepare the way of the Lord. We have a different kind of preparation in John the Baptist that's foretold this Sunday. That's the preparation of him as a martyr before Christ Jesus goes to his death. John goes because his preaching fell out of favor, particularly his preaching of repentance against a sinful ruler. Jesus, it will be his proclamation of the gospel that seems to be the thing that they despise him for most of all, that he claimed to be the Son of God, and that therefore he would eat and be among sinners and forgive them.
0: So we come now to the gospel in Matthew 11, beginning at verse 2, that has been running the show so far. How does it read?
1: When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Interestingly, just a pause, uh, that's where both the traditional gospel for this Sunday in Advent, as well as the Revised Common Lectionary, end. But our Lutheran service book, Year A, has chosen to go on with these words. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The gospel of our Lord. This is a beautiful passage, and it's beloved, I think, since it's had such longevity in the church and connected with the Sunday, too. I'm not going to solve the the question here, or maybe I'm going to skirt the issue, but it's become in our day a real question on what is going on with John, whether he asked this question out of doubt or out of faith. As I mentioned, uh, most of the fathers, including, I believe, Luther, are are united in believing that John has no doubt here. He's kind of asking this only for the benefit of those two disciples uh, that he sends to ask the question. Kind of a Socratic kind of, you know, they'll find it themselves once they go talk to the real man. And we see that when Andrew kind of peels off of John the Baptist to follow the Lamb of God and to abide with him, which is beautiful in the gospels. The other alternative I suppose is that John is having a moment of weakness, that his weak knees need strengthening as the Old Testament reading says. I think regardless, uh, he shows that whether we're in doubt or whether we're in faith, it is natural for the righteous to go to the Lord for reassurance, to seek the answers from Christ Jesus. Whether it's, think back to Psalm 71, now that I'm old and gray-headed, or whether I'm young and wild, or whether I'm in the middle of life and I've fallen away and, like the prodigal son, wish to return, to go to Christ Jesus to find the answer, to go to his scriptures is the right thing to do. And he always gives his correction and his comfort. So John does write, whether out of doubt or whether out of faith. What's very interesting is Jesus gives him the answer, which is, you figure it out. Here's the prophecies of the Old Testament, and don't you see them being fulfilled all around you? The understood answer is, yes, he does. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting is, added to that Isaiah 35, Jesus has really quoted Isaiah 61, verse 1 which talks about proclaiming the great and favorable day of the Lord, how the poor will have this good news preached to them. And by the way, the good news should be understood as the gospel, I think. Except that passage goes on to say something more. It says that non sequitur from our psalm for the day that he comes to proclaim liberty to the captives. It isn't that the word that you think John the Baptist probably wants to hear as he sits there languishing in prison, about to be beheaded, even though he probably didn't know that. Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, he adds a word of his own here, blessed is the one who's not scandalized or offended by me. It seems to me a marvelous little subtle comment to John the Baptist, hopefully something that those disciples brought back to him before they did go and follow Jesus Christ that John should not be scandalized by the fact that he won't be a captive that's liberated by Jesus, at least not in this life. I think if we could fast forward to other parts of the Gospels, we'd see this at work in the story of John's death when they lay out the miserable and sordid tale of Herod with Herodias and Salome the dancing girl in front of all the lecherous men and, and he has no constitution and everything's just disgusting in that story except the end of it where John's headless body is lovingly gathered by the disciples and laid to rest. Why? Well, because we expect the resurrection of the dead where John with his head will be raised where he will see that uh, blessed indeed is the one who's not scandalized by Christ Jesus and if he goes to his beheading with nothing but the gospel preached to him that's enough to be raised up with the dead. That's all he needs.
0: So in this gospel reading, it's not simply Jesus' message to these disciples or via these disciples to John. What's his message to us? Yeah, so
1: he turns to the crowds, too, and I guess comments on John. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. I suppose that gives some credence to the idea that he's not doubting, maybe. Certainly, he's not shaken by any means. And John has never been a softy. He's always wore that rough clothing, I suppose. But the point of it is John is in every way a consummate prophet we see that he's got bits of Ezekiel with his strangeness. He's got bits of Isaiah in that Isaiah is talking directly about him so often. Uh, he's got bits of Jeremiah in that he faces the enemy, prison, destruction, opposition, and yet endures. He's not turned off by the fact or, or turned away by the fact that the rulers and officials oppose his message but he is particularly the one who goes in advance of Jesus Christ. He's particularly the one that, as I mentioned, he's the pickup to the downbeat of Jesus. He is the last harbinger, or to use the traditional word that the church likes to append to John, he is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, of the Christ when he comes, the Messiah. So if in a way, if Jesus is telling us exactly who John is, interestingly, in a way that John is not willing to say of himself, he says, oh no, I'm not Elijah, when he's asked, I am the voice of one crying. That's all he wants to be known as. Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, he actually is Elijah, the one that we're waiting for. Not that he's some reincarnation of the old prophet, but that he is, functioning in that way, the one who arrives, as it says in the Old Testament prophecy, just before the Christ himself, the Lord himself arrives. So we need to know who John is. And I like, at least for our purposes, in this collection of readings for this third Sunday in year A, that we do get this extended section, which mentions again, he is the greatest among women, there's no one greater than him, except, that is, those who are least in the kingdom of heaven, which maybe seems a little obscure, but I think it's clarified by what comes after it, that the kingdom suffers violence, the violent take it by force, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and then he's the Elijah who is to come. So we see, as we mentioned before, John really is the capstone and and the greatest, I suppose, in many ways, because of that the greatest and the summation of all the prophets that lie before him. And why? I think most of all for this purpose, he's the one who actually got to see what all the other prophets were only being seers about. They saw it from a distance, they prophesied without seeing it fully, kind of like Peter talks about in his epistle. John gets to lay his finger on him, gets to point to him and say, this is the Lamb of God. Now I'm seeing him with my eyes, even is almost too frightened to baptize him, as we remember from later in the gospel. But that means John has that special pride of place. Who then are the ones who are greater than him, who are actually the least in the kingdom of heaven? It's those that follow after. It may be those preachers, but I suppose in a sense we can also, as Peter mentions, apply it to ourselves. Those who come after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, who know Jesus not only as one who's yet to come, but one who has come for our salvation, we have that great and special privilege to see all the things that the great prophets were to imitate in their suffering and their patience. They never got to see it. We're included in that. This is the same point that hebrews 11 makes beautifully too when it says uh you know all these people who suffer greatly by faith they accomplish wonderful things yet they never had the thing that was promised to them that they by faith were waiting for as we do in fact in a way their incompleteness was to allow us to be part of their completeness as well so i think there's a small place to find ourselves and we ought to by god's grace find ourselves there how Same way that John finds himself among Jesus, to be trusting in him, to look to him for the answers to our struggles and our questions, our sins, as we heard last Sunday, but also that even in the face of difficulties, sufferings, with this never ending and and continuing repentance that we must have in this flesh, that we would not be scandalized or offended
0: by him because he is our salvation, he's our Lord. Can we go so far to say that John the Baptist? he really must die because as you said just a moment ago being the forerunner of Christ he has to walk the entire way and Christ is going to his death too
1: yeah we got to be careful with this i suppose because by no means is john's death a uh, half salvation, right? He's not dying as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. John's been very clear about that. He pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the one who's gonna do that. In the same way when, when Peter and Paul talk about our sufferings filling up what's lacking in the body of Christ or our sufferings in some way completing or being joined to Jesus, in no way are we to be propitiatory sacrifices to atone for anyone's sins. And yet John really is that consummate prophet who proclaims the message of the Lord, a message that's tied especially to repentance, but also pointing to the Christ who is to come and to bear witness to it even with his life. And John does that. In a similar way, all Christians then are called to bear witness to Christ Jesus, and if necessary, even with our lives, we point back to what is fully accomplished. And therefore, in the confidence of what awaits us, we're not fearful of death. John actually didn't have that last part. I mean, he certainly had the confidence of the resurrection at the last day, but he didn't have by sight in the same way that we do. I mean, ours is a faith as well that looks back to what has been done, what we've heard in the scriptures. But John got to see him very much like Moses, right? Got to see the promised land from a distance, got to see the mighty works of God, but didn't quite watch the whole thing play out in the way that the disciples did, in the way that Now we, reading their scriptures, know for certain Christ has died, Christ has been raised on the third day, and therefore we have the confidence that what he did was for us and that he will redeem us at the last day and bring that salvation and reveal it to us.
0: I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 14 consecutive years Please help us finish 2022 strong by making a year-end tax-deductible donation. No gift is too small. You can donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online gift at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for thinking of Issues Etc. at the end of the year. We'll get into the hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voice is Sounding with Pastor Sean Denzer after this. Thank you for almost six and a half million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support.
4: Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry. LCMS.org slash deaconess.
3: Expert guests. Expansive topics. Extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues, etc.
4: It's the days before Christmas, and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Cruesome has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website, adcruesome.com, for gifts focused on Christ, where it's always belonged. Reminders of His work for saints in this world, and His promises eternal, yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's
0: A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com.
2: Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Why for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. Whoa.
0: Welcome back to Issues Et Cetera. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is our guest. Sean, we got a couple hymns to consider for this coming Sunday. The first one being the one that we've been listening to, Hark, a Thrilling Voice is Sounding. What would you tell us about it?
1: This is a very old hymn, we don't quite know when. Uh, it was attributed to Ambrose for a long time. It's one of those that we have some doubts about these days, but in any case, very much entrenched as the hymn for Advent in the morning. It was traditionally in Luther's day, before and after him among the Lutheran churches, as well as in the broader Roman Catholic Church, the office hymn that was appointed for lauds, that would be equivalent to our matins basically, in Advent. It's a beautiful hymn in Latin, as it is in English. Its tune is a little different in Latin. I'm partial to it, but we've never had it in our hymnals. What we have is a glorious Anglican tune, and it was translated by Coswell, who was, after J.M. Neal, probably the most important translator of Latin and Greek hymns as well, I believe, into English in our language. So it's a very excellent translation and a good hymn for this. Maybe not the best hymn, in my opinion, for this gospel reading, actually, because many of the things it brings out about John's life we don't hear so much about. But it certainly is a great hymn as an all-encompassing hymn for Advent, going back to its use as an office hymn for the whole season, right? So we have the judgment coming. We have John's particular message that he is the thrilling voice who is sounding. Christ is near. Christ is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand, as we heard last week. For that reason, that's probably why we're singing it. A great hymn for our second and final appearance of John the Baptist on our Sundays in year A. I'm going to be bold and recommend maybe a surprising hymn for your consideration, especially if you're the one, a cantor or pastor at your church who's working with the hymns and planning the services. And that is in LSB 897, O Rejoice Ye Christians Loudly. This hymn is great if you want to bring out that rose rejoicing theme on this Sunday, even though we're in the three-year lectionary because it starts with, Oh, rejoice ye Christians loudly. I think, though, it really captures in a couple ways both the importance of Advent for our ongoing Christian life, as well as this situation we find ourselves facing the difficulties of this life, needing, as James encourages, the patience that comes from Christ Jesus and his scriptures, and to be strengthened in our weaknesses whenever they come, both by the Lord's promises and by the hope we have, exactly what Jesus gives to John as he lies languishing in prison. Our joy has now begun because Christ has come and honored our race, honored the human race in this way that he has become incarnate as a man. No angel could say that of of. Of God, that He's become an angel for their sake. No badger or any other animal, either, I suppose. Only humans are uniquely honored that God has taken up our flesh into His divinity. The second stanza points out Christ's choosing of weakness and poverty to come and suffer great things gladly for our redemption. He doesn't refuse the crib as a baby, He doesn't refuse the cross he suffers all of this for his good to redeem us by his blood. There's that distinction in a sacrifice that Christ faces. He's a martyr in a totally unique sense that he is the atonement for the sins of the world. Stanza three, how could I thank you rightly? Drawing from last week, how could I bear fruits in keeping with repentance and faith because of what Christ has done? Well, I acknowledge that I'm saved. I trust in you. I will remain faithful. I will not be scandalized by you. I will remain faithful to you, Lord. And we ask that he wouldn't let us forget it lightly. This is really all of the renewal that we want to consider at the beginning of a new church year, that this wouldn't be a year that is wasted on us. Maybe we've wasted our time in the past. We've gone to church or we've fallen away from church. Advent is always the time to return to the Lord in repentance and in hope, expectation and joy. So this stanza I think really captures that, that at all times we would cleave, that means cling to, be close to, bind ourselves to and and, uh, not let anything tear us away from Christ Jesus. That's how we'll receive peace, as John did, to hear this message of encouragement from Christ Jesus. The last stanza is an option for you. You might want to omit it. I don't usually advise chopping up hymns, but it does have this difficulty that it prays that God would grant us a glad new year. And maybe you think it's a little too early to be praying for a new year. If you do choose to sing it, I suppose you could understand it in two ways. We're, we're close to the beginning of a new calendar year, close enough maybe, or just to acknowledge that this is the season of Advent and this is our Christian New Year, an observance of a new church year. But this stanza would be great to retain because of what it says about Christ Jesus Guarding and guiding his members, right? He's the head, we're the body. That he would fill us with his grace, that he would hear our prayers, drawing very much on the colic for the day, and that he would quicken or fan to flame the glowing embers of faith so that they would burn brightly again. And I think that's a fine uh, sentiment here, drawing on all the readings that uh, our, our patience and our endurance would not be without faith, but that we would trust in him, that we would indeed be those least in the kingdom of heaven that are greater than John the Baptist in this sense, that we know fully the Christ who has come to save us. And therefore, all our sadness, all our sorrow is done away with, joy, uh, gaudete, joy arises in us because the Son of Grace, that's Christ Jesus, is here.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you again for your time.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Todd.
0: Tuesday on Issues Cetera, we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about messengers from John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
3: is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.